years ago, a group from the church went out to Tolok's Camp and Conference Center in Bonner Springs for what we called a spiritual life retreat. And I remember that the guest speaker talked about the enormous challenge of beginning any new spiritual practice. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but what has stood out in my mind all these years was her saying that when a spaceship launches to go to the moon, that it expends about 80% of its energy on liftoff and the remaining 20% of its energy to travel the rest of the way from the earth to the moon. Beginning again is difficult. It can be tough. And we stand here at the beginning of a new year, only six days in. Some of us have made lofty New Year's resolutions like dieting or abstaining from sweets or alcohol, and some of us have already broken them. And some of us are not really the New Year's resolution types, but we've been kind of just pondering if there's something, some kind of goal that we might want to set for ourselves this year, like save or invest more money or exercise more, something. And then there are some of us who never really wanted to begin again, but circumstances forced it upon us, like the loss of a spouse or forced early retirement or the empty nest, and we're wrestling with how to begin again. In January, we're going to look at how Jesus began his earthly project of saving the world. How did Jesus himself get launched? We're going to look at stories of the Bible where he began. We're going to look at his first miracle next week, at his first sermon the week after that, at his first recruitment of his disciples. And today we're going to look at the first words he ever spoke, at least the first words he ever spoke according to Matthew. Now Luke and Mark also tell us this same story about Jesus coming to John to be baptized in the River Jordan, but only Matthew records the conversation that took place between Jesus and John at the time of the baptism. It's so direct and forceful, it's almost like Jesus woke up on New Year's Day and decided, this is it. I'm going to go get baptized and begin my public ministry. He left behind his carpentry tools. He took off that tool belt, and he began his life of preaching and teaching and healing. And so Jesus goes out and gets in line with all the other sinners. And when John looks up and sees Jesus wading out into the waters, he says, no way. If one of us is going to baptize the other, then it's you, Jesus, who will baptize me. John resists. It reminds me of the Facebook post that I saw earlier this week from one of my good friends in Florida. It was New Year's Day, and he said, it's time for the New Year's diet. I've decided to purge my home of all the bad food. And it was delicious. <laughs> Resistance, see? It's hard. It's hard to turn and go a new way. John says no to Jesus, but Jesus insists he's made up his mind. Now, it's obvious, really, why John would resist, because he's already announced that Jesus is so much greater than him. John cannot conceive of Jesus needing to repent of his sins and being washed clean and made new by the waters of the River Jordan. So why, why is it that Jesus insists I spent several days puzzling over the answer that Jesus gives in this story. He says to John, 
that it is to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? It sounds like a bunch of fancy religious mumbo-jumbo. But what it really means, of course, is to, to do God's will, to do the right thing according to God. And so I thought, okay, this is it. It's not that Jesus is repenting as much as he is vowing here to go in the direction that God leads, to do God's will, to bring justice to the poor and the oppressed, and to submit his own personal will to the grander will of God. But finally, after reading this text a jillion times, there was one word on the page that kept jumping out at me. It's in that dialogue where John says no, and Jesus says yes, and then finally Jesus says, let it be so now, for it is proper for us. Did you hear it? Not, John, you should do this. Not Jesus saying, I will do this, not you, not I, us. It is proper for us. From this point on in the story, Jesus will always be together with the people of God, not as the kind of Savior who saves with a magic wand from a distance, but the kind of Savior who saves by becoming one of us. Maybe the word us refers not only to the partnership between John and Jesus, but also to the relationship between Jesus and God. For when Jesus comes up dripping wet out of the River Jordan, immediately we are told that the Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and he is empowered to be God's person here on the earth. I love the fact that this beautiful story is followed by a story of trouble. Because the very next thing that we are told in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. This story of coming up out of the River Jordan, out of the waters, and into the wilderness to be tempted reminds me so much of the story of Moses leading the people through the waters of the Red Sea, coming out of that safely and then landing as a community of faith in the wilderness to wander around for 40 years trying to figure out what are we supposed to do next. Well, here in this next story in Matthew, Jesus struggles as he is tempted three times by Satan to turn stone to bread, to leap off the temple roof, to seize power like he's any old ordinary political ruler. Do it, Jesus! But Jesus shuns the temptation, for he is no longer alone. He is us. He is God's person. He is part of a holy community of people who are here to follow God's path of love, not to seize power the way everyone else does. Do you remember back in December when we as a nation observed the burial and the tribute to President George Bush, 41. I loved all the pomp and circumstance of that series of ceremonies that took place, but the one moment that stood out for me the most was that moment in the Washington National Cathedral when President Bush's friend, the former Senator Alan Simpson, stood and talked about their friendship. And Simpson remembered that there was a day that was very dark for him personally. He was being taken to task by the press. 
He said everything that was coming to him was his own doing. He deserved it, but it was such a difficult time. And in the midst of that, he got a phone call from President Bush saying, hey, Alan, you and Anne should come and spend the weekend with Barb and me at Camp David. And so he accepted. And he remembers going over to the White House and getting on the helicopter. And before they boarded the helicopter, President Bush insisted that they have their photograph taken together. And the next morning when he woke up at Camp David, he went and he found President Bush sitting there going through the morning papers. And President Bush said, here it is, here it is. Here's our picture smiling. And Simpson said, you know, George, I realize that this cost you something and you didn't really have to do this. And he said, yep, my staff told me not to do it, but I did it anyway because of our friendship. Us, you see, it's not about me and my personal success. It's not about I, it's about us. As you and I begin a new calendar year, we have the opportunity to, to live as us, as people who represent the Spirit of God here on earth, people who are yoked to one another in a divine partnership of caring. When I vote, I have to decide, will I vote for me or for us? When I spend money, I have to decide, is this for me or for us? When I make my list of to-dos and of how to spend my time, I have to decide, is this for me or for us? Stanley Hauerwas says that Jesus came to draft us into the promise. For we, too, are the baptized. We, too, belong to that holy us. Bobby Joe Reed lives here in Kansas City, and she knows how difficult it is to begin again. She failed at it so many times. Bobby Jo Reed became addicted to alcohol as a young teenage girl. She spent many years suffering from abuse and homelessness and addiction. Over and over and over again, she tried to begin again each time she failed. In her book, Beautifully Broken, she writes that on January 1st, 1999, I really woke up for the first time. In place of fear, the fear of not ever being good enough, not ever being loved, not ever being safe, I felt calm. Bobby Jo Reed said that she cannot quite explain what happened because whatever happened, it happened while she slept. But God's spirit moved into the dark void of her life and filled her with a deep, deep, belonging to someone, to someone with a capital S, someone who would never leave her and who would always love her. Today, Bobby Jo Reed is a miracle in Kansas City. Not only did she begin a new life for herself, but she started Healing House, which has provided recovery services and housing for over 4,000 of our brothers and sisters in Kansas City, and they boast a 75% success rate. The theologian John Yoder says that to repent is not to feel bad about what we've already done, but to think differently. John and Jesus become partners in carrying out God's purpose in this world. And so how might this frame our resolutions 
what resolutions might we make as a church, as individuals, as people who call ourselves Christians, if we see ourselves as agents of God's grace here on earth? I wonder, I wonder if the reason that Jesus came to be baptized is so that you and I will always know that we are an us and not a me. Dr. Mike Graves, our scholar in residence and minister of spiritual formation, wrote a wonderful book, edited uh, this series of stories by Fred Craddock some years back. It was such a gift, Mike, not only to me and many disciples of Christ, but to so many who have followed Dr. Craddock's work as one of the leading preachers of our time. In that book, there's a little story told about baptism. Dr. Craddock recalls that when he was just getting his start, still a bachelor serving a small kind of mission congregation out in rural Appalachia in the mountains of Tennessee, that he served a church that had a unique little custom of baptizing new converts on the evening of Easter. And so he went with the congregation that evening of Easter out to the lake, and he waited out past the sandbar and into the waters and the baptismal candidates lined up and they came out one by one to be baptized and after being baptized each person went back through the water up to the shore where the congregation was singing on the shoreline and the congregation had formed some little booths made of blankets so that each baptismal candidate could get out of those wet clothes and get into dry clothes and then they built a bonfire and the newly baptized stood around the bonfire to warm themselves. And when everybody had been baptized, Dr. Craddock also stepped out of the water, changed into dry clothes, and joined them at the bonfire. And then one of the members of the church introduced each of the new Christians to the congregation, saying, this is, and he works at, and she lives at. And so when all the baptismal candidates had been introduced, the congregation, standing in a circle around the new Christians, introduced themselves. And one said, my name is, and if you ever need someone to do the washing or the ironing. And the next said, my name is, and if you ever need someone to chop wood. And the next said, my name is, and if you ever need somebody to babysit, call me. My name is, if you ever need somebody to repair your house, I'm a good carpenter. My name is, and if you ever need someone to sit with the sick, my name is, and if you ever need somebody to drive you to town, I've got a car. And then they all ate dinner, and they had a square dance, and they all went home. And before they left, one man was still there putting out the fire and he turned to Fred and he said, you know, folks don't get any closer than this. And Fred thought to himself, that's true. And there's a name for this. And I've seen this before in other communities. There's a name for this. And it's called church. Church.